This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Please take your Bibles and let's go to Isaiah's prophecy, the ninth chapter. There's been a renewed interest in recent days in the life of Napoleon. Hollywood can have that effect. But it's interesting as you study his life that so much could be done through such a small thing. Now, if Napoleon was listening today, he would be highly offended what I just saw. See, in his eyes, his stature was about 10 feet, but he wasn't anywhere close to that. In fact, those who visit museums in France tell us that in some of those museums where they have um, things that are left over from Napoleon's life, especially the clothing he wore, the uniforms, that when you look at what he wore, you wonder how could such a small man be such a conqueror. Now his conquering was intended to bolster his name and create a French empire. We know that that was not lasting. It took warfare, bloodshed to stop what he was trying to do. But really, his acclaim is just one episode in the history of mankind of conquering and those who fought and and commanded mighty armies and they did acquire great amounts of real estate and even wealth. And yet there's one conqueror that we know from history. He lives today. And he is the one that we want to focus on as we go to Isaiah's prophecy and then conclude with celebrating his gracious table today. The prophecy of Isaiah was given to show how God could make and did make, at least for a period, and then we know in the future this will really become evident, take a nation of rebels, the Jews, and make them a nation of witnesses for their Messiah, Jesus. That's, that's what Isaiah uh, tells us as God spoke through the prophet. But the Jews would have to understand his first coming and the purpose of that coming. As we look back on history, and in fact we celebrate uh, what the early uh, chapters of the Gospels talk about, uh, Jesus did come, but there was only a, a few who were prepared, only a few who were ready and God worked through them to bring about the Christmas story. Ultimately, what Isaiah predicts is something that will happen uh, mightily during the tribulation when there are 144,000 Jewish missionaries who go throughout the earth. Under the reign, a conqueror known as Antichrist 
Uh, but then ultimately at the end of the tribulation, the entire nation, what's left of them, they're going to turn their hearts to Christ and believe on him. So that's the ultimate fulfillment. But Isaiah 9, 6 and 7 is one of the most familiar messianic passages in Isaiah, one that's often quoted at Christmas. Isaiah 9, look at verse 6, and would you quote verses 6 and 7 with me? Let's quote these verses together. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. What a text. Now, this context, the context of this passage is striking. Here's what it reveals. Where darkness reigned, peace conquered. Again, where darkness reigned, peace conquered. And what we see in northern Israel, and this will become clearer, the darkness that reigned there because of choices that people and kings made. That Darkness was penetrated by divine light. Now, even today, and part of that is still the West Bank, there's, there's darkness there. Uh, a darkness that really is represented by what the Jewish people have experienced for most of their history because they turned from their God. But look with me at Isaiah 9.1. <clears throat> this takes us back to a part of their history that, that really, I think, helps us understand and, and is a snapshot of what most of their history has been. Nevertheless, verse 1, the dimness shall not be as uh, was in her vexation. When at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterwards did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. Now, this vexation, her is speaking about Israel here, at a time of hopelessness because of the anguish caused by her invaders. Now, when at first he, God, lately afflicted the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, and afterwards did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, in this area that was known then, Galilee of the nations, or we would even say today, and it was known this way even at the time of Jesus, Galilee of the Gentiles. This whole northern region of Israel, going from Transjordan, uh, over across the top of, Ga of the Sea of Galilee, all the way into Upper and Lower Galilee, that area just before you get up to Babylon, all the way to the Great Sea, the Mediterranean, was known as a very dark region. Why? Well, you'll remember when Israel split. Israel, the ten tribes in the north, Judah, two tribes in the south. When they split, 
the northern kings introduced idolatry, Baal worship. Kings like Jeroboam and then Ahab and there were others. And because of their idolatry, God afflicted them. He sent judgment. He tried to get a hold of their hearts. And, and he also sent prophets uh, to uh, testify against them. Elijah, Elisha, there were others. But as the idolatry continued, then God sent in conquerors. And of course, the first uh, conqueror was Assyria, came in and conquered that region. Part of their conquering strategy then was to bring in peoples from other nations that they had conquered and to settle them among the Jews. Now these were Gentiles. They served other gods. And then they began to intermarry. So when we get to the time of Jesus, you have in Samaria, you have Samaritans. They're not a full Jew. They've intermarried. Uh, they're of mixed nationality. Uh, and so they had a form of godliness, but, but it was mixed with idolatry and other traditions. So this upper area, because of their sin, fell to the judgment of God and great darkness. Now how dark and gloomy was Israel's history after the Assyrians and then the Babylonians conquered? Look at verse 4. As in the days of Midian. It was that bad. Now when you read back in Judges 6 and 7 about Gideon and the Midianites, it's, it's just one of those cycles in the book of Judges, right? How, how bad was it in the days of Midian? Well, Judges 6 and 7 tell us that people were forced out of their homes and they lived in dens in the mountains and caves. They couldn't live in their homes. Now, a few were brave enough to do so, like Gideon, but even when we're introduced to Gideon, uh, he is winnowing wheat. He's doing it in a hidden, a concealed uh, place where they uh, process grapes. I look back and I kind of smile at that because you would see a wall and then you'd see grain kind of pop up and then it'd disappear. What's going on back there? And there's, there's Gideon. He's scared to death too. Here's what else Judges tells us about that time. It tells us that there were no animals left among the children of Israel. The Midianites had either taken it or eaten it. There were no sheep. There were no cattle. They didn't have, there weren't even donkeys. They didn't have any livestock. And then it says the Midianites were like grasshoppers. There were so many of them. And their, the result, they, you know, like grasshoppers, they had eaten everything. And then God sends a mighty conqueror, Gideon. Yeah, yeah, the guy that was hiding. And so that's what it was. It was a very dark time in Israel, back in the Judges, and now reflected during this time that Isaiah speaks of. In those days, God sent an unlikely deliverer, Gideon. In the days that Isaiah was predicting, God would send an unexpected deliverer who, through his coming, was thoroughly foretold. I love the book of Isaiah because 
you can lead someone to Christ out of Isaiah. You can take a Jewish friend and say, let me tell you about your Messiah. Here's what Isaiah says, and then we can go to the New Testament, and here's how what Isaiah said is fulfilled. You can lead them to the Lord. Now, what would be the result of the coming of the deliverer that Isaiah spoke of? Well, look at verse 2 now, Isaiah 9. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. So in the time that Isaiah talks about where Assyria was all, had already conquered in the north and it was going to be uh, even worse in the coming days, it was already a time of darkness. In Isaiah's day, you did not want to live up north. You wanted to be living in the south, in Judah. But where the shadow of death was, he predicts, the light shine. Verse 3. Thou hast multiplied the nation. Whatever God was going to do would increase the nation, the nation after the Babylonian return up through the time of Christ's coming. Now, oh, when you study Israel's history and the conquerors that moved through the land, Babylon, and then later uh, you would have Greece occupy that area, and then Rome. It's a wonder there were any Jews left in that area. But the Lord was bringing people back. He was multiplying the population. And, and how was that even happening? Because God said, Abraham, your descendants will be as the sand of the sea. You can have world despots who are intent on wiping out Israel. Guess what? It'll never happen. Why not? God made a promise. And so the children of Israel, even today, are as the sand of the sea. So he increased the nation. And then, and I want you to look carefully at verse 2, uh, because the, our King James Bible says, and not increase the joy. Well, you need to take a closer look because the next statement says, they joy before thee. So which is it? And as you study that in the original language, some look at that original and they, they uh, turn it into a question that the Hebrew is saying, then did he not increase the joy? In other words, they make it positive. He, he, even though there was darkness, he did increase the joy. Other translations reflect that uh, more clearly. But as we read on, they joy before thee, or literally in thy presence. In thy presence, God, there is great gladness. The same one who multiplied the nation now brings unspeakable joy. That's the idea. According to the joy of harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. So a time of famine and darkness, a grievous time, turns into a joyous time where there's plenty. Now, what did this deliverer do? Watch. Here's what he did. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. The idea is that which is used to beat and oppress and afflict and even kill. This deliverer takes that rod 
and he breaks it. Now this victory was won by a bloody, confused conflict. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. All right, so this deliverance, this light, this joyfulness is the result of a confused, bloody struggle. Now, if we could take time this morning and we don't have time, we could go to the New Testament and see the struggle, the contradiction of sinners against Christ, the hate that was there, and yet as he worked through his earthly ministry, the Lord Jesus brought light where there was darkness, healing where there was sickness, life where there was death. They hated him. They sought to kill him. Ultimately, they did. And there was a bloody battle outside of the wall of Jerusalem one very hot afternoon. But the result of that conflict was a voice of victory. It is finished. Now put yourself in Israel in Gideon's day with Midianite oppressors. Put yourself in Israel in Mary and Joseph's day when there were Roman conquerors. By the way, Mary and Joseph lived in an area that was known as Galilee of the Gentiles. That is significant. Do you know where Nazareth is at? It's in Galilee. Now, it was a predominantly, Nazareth was a predominantly Jewish settlement, okay? There were others, Cana and some of those other cities, but they were surrounded by Tiberias and Caesarea and places where Gentiles lived, including still Samaria. And where did the Lord call his Messiah to begin his earthly ministry? Galilee. In fact, when those early disciples were being called, remember Nathaniel? Can anything good come out of Galilee? That dark area? Are you kidding? And Andrew tells him, come and see. Come and see. Now imagine if America was conquered by a great enemy. Think of the hopelessness, the darkness that we would experience. By the way, there are wars and rumors of wars, aren't there? Those of us who are in the military or those of us who have family members in the military, we're watching this earnestly and closely. We're also concerned because part of the darkness with Israel was the result that God had made them great, they abandoned God, and he let them go. God has made America great. America has abandoned God. Would God be justified in letting us go? Well, there's a pretty clear answer to that. These are dark days in our land as they were 
at this time in Israel. Now, if you lived at such a time, where would you look for deliverance? Who would be mighty enough to rescue a people in such desperate conditions? If you were alive during the days of the Roman Empire, who is going to deliver from Rome? There's nobody out there. It's Rome. Now brace yourself. Are you ready for this? That's the context. And then we read in Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born. A baby? We need a conqueror. A baby? Yes, a child is born. But folks, he isn't a helpless child. He's God's own son. He's the deliverer. Now, how do we know? Well, God through Isaiah describes this child. And let's take a close look at this description, and then we're going to need to conclude. First of all, a son is given. The phrase a son is given is remarkable. Take some notes this morning. The word given means sent. A son is sent. Now, those of us who have sons... Any of us were in the delivery room. A son has arrived. But none of us would say that son was sent. Sent indicates pre-existence. John's gospel gives us the best explanation of this pre-existent son. You'll recognize these verses, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. By the way, not like the Jehovah's false witnesses. The word was a God. Charles Taze Russell rewrote the Bible, and he contaminated Now it's not the Bible. Okay? That's not what the Scripture said. It's not what it's ever said. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. Now verse 5, And the light shineth in darkness. Hmm. Any connections with Isaiah 9? Yeah, yeah. The light shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. All right, and so listen to what John says in John 1, 14, and the word was made flesh and dwelled among us. A son is given, a son is sent, and we beheld his glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This son is none other than God come in the flesh. And by the way, his created his, his birth was the creative work of the Holy Spirit in a virgin's womb. And that virgin was from a small town in Galilee of the nations. At a time when there was darkness all through Israel, especially there in the north. Now next, notice the description given by God through Isaiah of this conquering light giver. A son is given. 
the government shall be on his shoulder. Now, not shoulders, shoulder. Monarchs throughout history often wore emblems on a shoulder that signified their authority and right to reign. Sometimes on their shoulder they would wear a key that symbolized their authority. They could unlock the door to whatever purposes, whatever designs they had. Now in Isaiah 22, 22, here's what the prophet said. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder, and he shall open, and no man shall shut, and he shall shut, and no man shall open. One day Jesus wore on his shoulder the emblem of suffering and shame. What was it? It was a cross. The cross by which he won our peace with God and the key that opened the door to eternal life. As he walked up that hill, struggling, carrying that cross, Satan and the Pharisees thought, we got him! Others mocked. His followers mourned, especially the women. But he was carrying on his shoulder the key to our peace with God. Again, consider Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, the punishment which won our peace, was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. doesn't say we will be healed. doesn't say we're healing. It says by his stripes, we are healed, complete spiritual healing. It's done. It's finished. Now because of the saving work of the Son given, listen to Philippians 2, 9 and 10. God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. The government shall be upon his shoulder. As a chaplain, and other chap, we have several other chaplains here this morning. On my uniform, I wear crosses on my shoulders. A lot of chaplains don't even think about the significance of that. But those crosses are a reminder to me that my authority to minister among police officers, some of you minister among uh, our nation's heroes, our military, that cross reminds me that the authority for what I do was won by the one who bore a cross on his shoulder for me. And so this morning we close. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is sent. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Why? Because in his own body he bore the penalty for our sin on the cross. 
through his stripes we are healed. Again, he was born to die. And this morning now he bids us, come to my table. This do in remembrance of me. And during this season, I hope this morning you've come with a clean heart, a prepared heart. And as we partake of the elements of the table, you're willing to say to the Lord, Lord Jesus, thank you for being the son who was sent for me. Thank you that upon your shoulder you took a cross. And through that, you conquered and won my spiritual freedom, my salvation. And because of that, you've been given a name above every name. You reign now at the right hand of the Father, and you will reign eternally. And Because of your work, I get to reign eternally with you. Lord, thank you. And I worship at your table. Father, thank you for the truth that Isaiah brings out to a people that walked in great darkness. They knew what was happening in the north. They knew the absolute terror of the Assyrian army. Lord, it reminds us of Hamas when we study antiquity and what those butchers were like. It was dark, and yet, Lord, through the prophet, you declared you would send a conqueror. You would send a son, a baby, a child would be born. The government would be upon his shoulder. He'd be wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, and the prince of peace, the one who governs by peace. Father, thank you for sending your Son and Lord Jesus. Thank you for Isaiah's description of your mighty person. And now we worship at your table. Lord, help us to be right. Help us to make right if there are things between our soul and the Savior. And bless now our celebration together, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.